0: Lord, we thank you for your church. We thank you for the way you give uh, elders, pastors, teachers to lead your church. We pray that you give us wisdom now. In Jesus' name, amen. We know from Luke 15, 10, that if one sinner repents, the angels in heaven rejoice. But what do you think the angels in heaven do when a pastor resigns? I think they may be a little nervous and just kind of look at each other, eyebrows raised. What's going to happen? I don't really believe that theologically. But I'm making the point that I think pastoral transition is a critical time in the life of a local church. Think for a moment. Why are there so many old and dying churches in our communities today? and at the same time why are there so many church plants is this not an odd combination was this the situation 30 years ago could part of the reason be that we have not been very faithful at finding good pastors for our existing churches I often speak on raising up leaders. Uh, I've written about that in a little book, a little blue book called Discipling. I'm sure you can get a copy of it. It's meant to encourage the, the birth of new leaders. What I want to do in this time together is to help congregations know how to find and employ these leaders once they're raised up. I mean to try to help us see the next generation of pastoral leaders get in place. So this is for you if you're here today as a pastor or senior pastor because you have to lead this process. You have to teach your church about this. Even if you're here just planting a church or starting a pastorate that's new for you, this is a message that you should pay careful attention to. So Pastor Luther, you need to pay attention to this because this is part of the nuts and bolts of how you raise up the next generation of leaders and get them in place. This message is good for you to consider if you're another staff pastor, like we were just thinking of, or or lay elder. Because as a leader in the congregation, you have an important way to care for your flock at those crucial times of transition. And this is important for you if you are neither of these things, but you are a member of a local church, because you have an important role to play in considering, recognizing, and working with whoever God would call to pastor your church. In short, this talk is for all Christians to think about. If you're a student or you want to plant one day, listen up. Consider how important it is to get to know the churches in the area that you would labor in. Perhaps you should even do researches on the churches before you decide where you're going to plant. Maybe you'll uncover a church that could use your help. It's already there. But this talk is conceived from the other side. Not the pastor looking for a church but the church looking for a pastor how shall we in our churches find the preachers that we need Uh, when we come to practical questions like this in the life of the local church i often think of the first chapter of the westminster confession Uh, chapter 1 section 6 is a magnificent statement of the sufficiency of scripture and also at the same time the need to use quote the light of nature and christian prudence i thought about doing this talk just like an exegesis of this sentence in the westminster confession that i think packs in truth so well it reads as follows the whole counsel of god you can tell they have acts 20 28 in mind the whole counsel of god concerning all things necessary for his own glory man's salvation faith and life is either expressly set down in scripture We got that, no problem, okay. Or, by good and necessary consequence, may be deduced from Scripture. Okay, so we have to reason from Scripture. Under which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelations of the Spirit. So we understand you're acting as an enemy of God if you're claiming to have revelation of this authority outside of this book. Or traditions of men Mm, that hits all of us nevertheless we acknowledge the inward illumination of the Spirit of God to be necessary for the saving understanding of such things as are revealed in the world in in the word in that there are some circumstances concerning the worship of God and the government of the church common to human actions and societies which are to be ordered by the light of nature and Christian prudence according to the general rules of the word which are always to be observed that's the statement so in the spirit of the light of nature and Christian prudence I offer these 11 steps 11 steps to aid a church in thinking through how to find a new pastor So here's my attempt at distilling some christian prudence as it relates to this practical part of church leadership that i've been asked about so many times over the last 20 or 30 years and have never really written much down about it and i trust this is mixed in with uh, a great deal of reference to the general rules of the word which are always to be observed so uh, we're going to be turning to a number of different places in scripture 11 steps number one prepare And and right here, I think I may surprise some pastors in the room. One of the most important parts of a pastor's ministry is helping to secure a sound man to follow him in the ministry of his congregation. I'm gonna say that again because some of you pastors do not understand this. One of the most important parts of a pastor's ministry is helping to secure a sound man to follow him in the ministry of his congregation. Robert Murray McShane once said in a sermon to his congregation, changes are coming. Every eye before me shall soon be dim in death. Another pastor shall feed this flock. Another singer lead the psalm. Another flock shall fill this fold. I think of the saying, God buries the worker, but the work goes on. Brother pastor, do you speak to your congregation like that? Do you make them aware of the speedy passage of time and the obligations that puts on us? How are you seeking your congregation's blessing and benefit beyond your own ministry there? Now, unless we're pastoring our church when the Lord comes back, our role is always to be preparing the congregation for the next man. And we do this in numerous ways. We do this by making sure we're financially prepared to no longer have this job. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard a pastor keep his job when he feels tired because he doesn't know how else he's going to make a living. Brothers, that ought not to be. We also prepare the congregation for this transition from the earliest days we're in the church by not being defensive or envious of others' gifts, but realizing they're being given by God for the blessing of his people. We rejoice in the gifts of other people. We try to encourage them. We do this by teaching the congregation the whole counsel of God and so seeing them mature, which we're going to hear about a little bit later from our brother H.B., Lord willing. We do this in helping them to realize God's gifts of elders in other men in the church teaching them the New Testament qualifications for elders helping them to expect to hear others preaching besides us remember brother pastor part of what we're doing is teaching our congregation to listen with discernment separating out truth from error food from poison like the Bereans of Acts seventeen eleven, who Luke writes received the word with all eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so Brother pastors, I work to find ways for my congregation to hear people other than me preach, and I don't mean on YouTube. I mean in in our church, in my pulpit. So I preach a lot of the Sundays of the year, but there are a lot of Sundays of the year. I'm sitting right there in the congregation, but I'm not preaching. I'm listening to the word be preached by others that I've asked to preach. We have a Sunday evening service where we have the the same theme as the morning text but the opposite testament of Scripture. And I've selected a verse from the opposite testament. And we do that in part to have 52 more occasions where we get to hear others preach. And uh, it'll be a 15-minute message. It's a devotional message at the end of the Lord's Day. But we get to hear others teach God's Word. We have core seminar classes during Sunday school time where we have approximately 80 teachers over the year who are involved in teaching various classes so they get opportunities to publicly teach. We're not even talking about small groups, discipling. We try to look for ways to, to get the congregation to be hearing other people teach God's Word. And most particularly, the responsibility of the current senior pastor should be either to suggest the name of a man to the elders to succeed him, uh, or at least help in that process. And, and an important note here, the current pastor's help in this is faithfulness. It is not interference so many churches act like secular businesses where when the last guy has gone that's good now it's time to rethink and redo our priorities according to what we the permanent people think that is a godless way to think about a local church you will not find anything like that in the new testament and pastor that starts with you you need to understand that part of your ministry is trying to help them find the next pastor that is a loving thing for you to do that's not lording your authority could you do it in a bad way yes of course you could But in and of itself, it is a loving thing to do. If there are problems in a man's ministry, it is not godly to wait and just sort of wait him out. And then you'll fix it when he's gone. No, brothers, sisters, if there's a problem in the man's ministry, you talk to him about it. You speak to him. You help him to understand. Maybe he'll change while he's still with you. If you've not communicated your concerns about his ministry then of course he would think that you want him to continue in the same paths that he led you in and he's maybe if he's not retiring he's going somewhere else he's gonna do the same thing that's not loving to your sister congregations so you understand why the pastor would want to lead the congregation in this these are the sheep that he has loved that he has cared for that he's seen them grow and mature in Christ so this decision is of the utmost importance to those that he's given his life for So a pastor helping with this decision i didn't say making this decision but helping with this decision is loving his congregation but this is not a decision as i say for the pastor alone at the end of the day it must be the elders as a whole who must honestly nominate a pastor to be considered by the congregation but that's number one prepare Uh, i just want to try to put you on notice if you haven't thought about it pastor that this is part of your responsibility in your church number two agree agree you need to agree that it's time for a change the preaching pastor and the elders should agree together either on the the date on which the current pastor will cease being responsible for the preaching ministry of the church or the date by which they would like to begin a search for their next preacher you could do it either way the point of the agreement would be for the smoothest possible transition for the congregation you give another good message on how the the pastor or other elders realize it's time to move on Uh, i'm not sure i have any quick wisdom on that Uh, simply pray and work for the good of the local church now of course situations vary i mean perhaps the current minister moves on to another church or perhaps he or the other elders can sense that he's wearing out he needs to start thinking about changing his role honest sensitive open conversation about this on the eldership is helpful Uh, once replaced that that, the former pastor may need to move on or he may be able to constructively stay on after the new man is preaching i've heard and seen many examples in both directions so if you live by the one cardinal rule of life is that if you have had a good ministry you must be able to stay in your church for the next man i don't think that's necessarily true or once you finish you've got to get out of there i don't think that's necessarily true it's just different situations are different i give you two from our local area james bircham was a pastor for 25 years at the first baptist church of upper marlborough in maryland Uh, james called a new pastor about a year and a half ago and uh, james decided to stay in the church with his new pastor agreeing and he has been a wonderful help to the new pastor He, he pastored well humbly in a godly way for a quarter of a century built that church up but he could not be more helpful to the new pastor it is a joy so the new pastor tells me to have james there on the other hand, in our own church back in the 1940s, there's a man who had been there for 42 years, from 1903 to 1945. A new pastor comes in, K.O. And White, in 1945, young man at the time. Older people say he's the best preacher our congregation's ever had. He could not take the fact that Dr. Ball was hanging around talking to everybody after every service. When everybody wanted to get married, they went to Dr. Ball. When everybody had a funeral, they went to Dr. Ball and there was a lot of conflict so new guy superb guy theologically leaves after five years dr ball has a heart attack the next year he's gone well I, I can tell you more stories in both directions you just pray for wisdom and humility agree when it's time to stop having that main preaching responsibility be yours number three lead The elders should be the body to lead and advise the congregation throughout the process of transitioning to a new preacher. The elders, not a specially called committee for the purpose of calling a new pastor. The elders hold an office mandated and described in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 20, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, in Titus chapter 1, well, friends, if, if these are those whose faith we should emulate and whose examples we should follow according to 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, or Galatians 6.6 6, or Hebrews 13 verse 7 and verse 17, then it follows that in this decision, one of the most significant decisions a church should make, their leadership would be most important. Uh, this alone is a good reason for you to work to move your congregation to have a plurality of elders if you don't. For this most important decision to get them ready before you need to use them for this reason. So let this be a main part of your pastoral ministry in your congregation. If you need to find a pastor before you've recognized your elders, then at least using some existing board of deacons might be the second best alternative. Now, some of you here may be serving on what's called a search committee, which you will not find in the Bible, but you will find in constitutions of Baptist churches. You know, a search committee the first thing i want to say to you is thank you it is often a thankless task it involves countless hours a lot of prayer a lot of getting to know other people that you may not have known that well before you began searching on the committee and so many people in your church who you didn't know before have strong opinions about what you're doing thank you for the time for the prayer for the care that you're investing in your church please do not hear any of my advice and instruction here as aimed at you personally I obviously don't know who you are i'm simply trying to take the general principles of the word the bible and see how they might help us give give a church a better chance of finding a good new pastor and i think that a search committee stands at a disadvantage to a biblically mandated recognized body of officers in the church A search committee assembled simply for the purposes of picking a pastor runs the risk of putting this most important of recommendations in the hands of those who may not even meet the minimum biblical requirements for elders and deacons there's no doctrinal examination for being on committees not like there is for being an elder strong members of the committee could effectively turn the whole direction of the church why would we come up with a group that's not in the bible to do such important work for us, when a group that is in the Bible could bless our churches in so many ways, and especially in this way. So anyone's voice that's included in such a committee could easily communicate to the elders. You know, they represent different interests. Sometimes you say, well, listen, friends, you know what the elders are going to do? They're going to represent the interests of the Bible. That's what you've recognized them to do. It's not the, the search committee's thoughts that should lead the church, but the elders the pastor will come to be a member of not the search committee but the eldership the elders should trust the congregation they've taught the congregation should trust the elders who've taught them so even as elders are normally the ones to raise up other elders so in this case the elders are the ones best qualified to assess a potential pastor's preaching and teaching and his character the elders are the body therefore who should lead and advise the congregation in this matter Of my eleven steps that is the most argumentative that is the one where my finger is planted most firmly in the chest of a lot of churches today so I really want you to hear that number four search if one's already agreed upon to become the next pastor then the elders could gather a name or names internally or externally uh, if, if no one is already agreed upon throughout the process it's good to remember that we recognize elders we don't make elders elders are gifts of christ to his church we read in ephesians 4 again lord willing we're going to hear about more from hb according to acts 20 28 it is the holy spirit who makes us bishops or elders to care for the church of god we're not trying to create a pastor but to find who god is giving us and perhaps who he's already given us so we begin the search internally in our own membership internally if there is no if there's no obvious candidate you don't have somebody already lined up we all know that john's going to be the elder you know when when joe goes he's going to be the main preacher then the elders could solicit names from the congregation by means of a letter sent out asking for responses by a particular date of course the internal candidate should often be preferred an internal candidate has the obvious advantage of being already known and presumably loved in the congregation the best case scenario is you simply formally recognize the obvious work of God. And this can be the case if there is a qualified brother serving as an elder in a church who already has a strong preaching and teaching ministry in the church. He already knows the congregation. There'd be less chance then of a mismatch. You know, it's, a tra- it's not a transplant from another body. It may not work. You know how this guy works. You know how the church responds to him. His character and ministry have already led the congregation to recognize him as one of the elders. So recognizing one who's already an elder among you is less risky than transplanting someone from outside. Uh, The vetting and the background checking has already been done simply by the prospective pastor being a part of that congregation. However, often we need to look outside of our own congregation for someone to preach regularly. Well, in that case, I would encourage you to resist the urge to put out a public notice like you're hiring an employee. I would not put out a a message on Christianity Today or in in the, the state Baptist newspaper. I mean, this is not just another job opening. Rather than generating 300 resumes from folks you don't know, get a man referred to you from a trusted pastor, either your own if he's still with you or if he's been removed, some other that you would know. It's very simple. This is not rocket science. Find a church you like. With a pastoral ministry, you you appreciate, and approach that pastor, and ask him for a suggestion. He may not have one, but he might. He might have more than one. Well, pursue one of those. Pursue that person until you're certain he wouldn't be good, and then do that again. That will spent, cost you a lot less time than the resumes of 300 people you don't even know. You'll save yourself a lot of time and energy the names external to the congregation should come from pastors whose churches and ministries you appreciate and would like in some measure to emulate in your own church that's a crucial point i'm going to say that again hear this the names not from your own church obviously but if you have to go outside your church to find a pastor should come from pastors whose churches and ministries you appreciate and would like to emulate this is one of many good reasons that pastors should work to know other pastors and churches in their own in their own area and not just their own staff and congregation that's why you should be praying regularly for the ministry of other churches there are other reasons why you should but this is yet another reason get to know the pastors in your area have a larger sense of what the lord is doing than simply knowing what's going on in your own congregation brother pastor your network may be the way your church finds your successor build that network of trusted churches ask yourself if you know of other pastors you would encourage your fellow elders to look to for recommendations and suggestions in the case that you're not available. If the Lord were to suddenly take you home, or God forbid, if you were to fail because of moral failure. Number five, propose. The elders should decide among themselves, I'm not talking about any public proposal at this point, the elders should decide among themselves who of the available brothers would be best suited to serve the church in this role at this time and provisionally go forward with this one name considering him at any point further along the process when it become clear that it's not best for that brother to serve in this way then they should just get propose another name do one at a time let me give you six cautions at this point on vetting suggestions Six cautions. Number one, with all due deference to denominational officials here, everybody from our director of missions brother to our seminary president brother, everybody in between, so thankful for you are, beware denominational representatives sometimes if they are having other reasons for suggesting the pastor to you. Try to understand what their interests would be. And what I have in mind in this Is a situation that's happening this week right now that i'm very familiar with There is a church in a very important area That we have been praying for transition to happen for decades And this brother seems to be about ready to throw in the towel and retire So there's there are two ways standing in front of him There is the denomination Which is liberal corrupt tends to get churches like that sell the property to keep paying their own salaries and there's a church planter a graduate of this seminary a dear godly man who for 10 years has been working to build a church but it's an incredibly expensive area he does not have a place for his congregation of 100 150 people to meet this is exactly in the area they're meeting in jesus clearly would want the church to go to this other group of the same denomination to keep the work going because this this congregation that has the building there's a handful of them and they're old and tired they they want to be done but there are denominational pressures for them to give the building to the denomination think carefully if you're in the church who you would entrust your resources to why is the person who's suggesting this person to you suggesting it now director of missions brother in the back seminary president in the front i trust these brothers are going to suggest good guys to you so i'm not saying never ask advice from denominational officials i'm telling you to think carefully because not all denominational officials are going to be like these and you need to think carefully why they're suggesting this person second beware community business leaders who would assume that their authority in business or politics gives them the natural right to lead the local church as if it's their private property so that they think they will essentially hire a preacher for their church When I came to our church, I had one businessman tell me, take me out for lunch at a nice country club and say, listen, I and my family have always taken care of the money here. You know, so you just preach and we'll take care of everything else. He asked me, is that a deal? I said, that is not a deal. You know. Do some lay leaders in your church tend to look down on pastors as those people who couldn't really make it in the world anyway? I can't tell you how wonderful many godly businessmen are in supporting christian work and i can't tell you the level of incompetence i've often found businessmen assume there is in pastors the pride the condescension first timothy four our first thessalonians 4 verses 12 and 13 says we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work friends it is god who calls pastors to the local church ultimately He gives them as gifts. It is the elders who lead the church, you see, in Hebrews 13. Number three, beware the temptation to turn this into a tournament so that you are tournament hosts who want only the best for your church. Brothers and sisters, it is proud to think that you need to have a good pastor who is better than other good pastors. Why would you think that? Why would you think so little of your sister churches? What got into you? What spirit of the world started inhabiting your heart? You look one at a time for a brother that could serve you well. This is not a beauty pageant. You're trying to find someone who could faithfully serve you. That's it. You're not trying to find the best on the eastern seaboard. It's not outward appearance that is determinative. You could go to 1 Samuel 16 and read how they were looking for a king... You know, they wanted Saul, who was tall, good-looking. Well, we saw what the Lord thought about Saul. It's not the outward appearance that is determinative of good leadership in God's eyes. It's not attractiveness. It's not familiarity. I wonder if that example of how the king is chosen because God looks into the heart should challenge a lot of us in our congregations who are majority culture congregations to deliberately look for a pastor from a minority. Should we look for an Asian-American pastor for a white church? So we're looking for an african-american pastor a hispanic pastor just to make the point to the community around us to ourselves that it's the godliness of the brother that commends him it's not all the cultural that we share we need to have language the same but other than language maybe that a younger congregation should deliberately consider calling an older man or an older congregation deliberately consider calling a younger man number four Beware the people who discount an otherwise well-qualified man simply because of some unbiblical prohibition that everyone in the church assumes. Let me name three. Maybe they think the pastor has to be married. Well, Richard Sibbs wasn't. Have you read the bruised read? Charles Simeon wasn't. One of the most faithful expositional preachers ever. He pastored the same church for 56 years. John Stott wasn't. Dick Lucas isn't. I think you can have great single pastors. Or maybe they think the man is too old. You know how so many churches want 20 years of experience in a 35-year-old pastor. (laughs) Now, actually, with HB, they could get that. (laughs) But with most of us, that wouldn't work. Sometimes a 55-year-old or a 60-year-old may be just what your church needs. No consultant will tell you that. There's not a long future career relationship, but they might be just what your church needs with their experience, their godliness. I think the most common unbiblical prohibition, though, in rejecting a pastor is because of his youth. And you understand this, because particularly when a long pastor's ending, when a guy is going out, there could be a generational change, even a couple of generational changes. When I came to CHBC at 93 or 94, I was 33 years old. And I was preaching to a congregation largely in their 70s and 80s. I was not the age of their children. I was the age of their grandchildren. Friends, that was quite a shift for them. But what I'm telling you in your local church, do not be averse to that kind of risk. Don't think that experience always trumps giftedness and character. Experience does not always trump giftedness and character god raises up young men who watch their lives and doctrine closely and are gifted to teach his word publicly first timothy four twelve. let no one despise you for your youth but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love in faith and purity brothers and sisters call them when they're a cub let them chew things up around the house for a while and you will have a lion that loves you for life Be patient when he does stupid things. Number five, and I say this, I realize, in the heart of an academic institution. Beware of requiring a PhD. And I say this even in front of my dear Presbyterian brother or even an MDiv or even a BA. Such a requirement is unbiblical, and in the judgment of experience and history flies in the face of bad pastors with degrees. Go talk to the Episcopal Church. Go talk to the PCUSA about how well their educational requirements have preserved them from heterodoxy. On the other hand, do you know what was one of the few denominations that we saw the Spirit of God turn around in the last century theologically? to start believing the Bible again in their schools. It was not the denomination that required all of the educational attainments. It was the denomination where literally most of the pastors did not have an MDiv. It was the uneducated Southern Baptists who knew enough to to know the gospel that had saved them. And to contend for that gospel and be willing to even fire people over that gospel. That God, by his grace, turned around. Friends, I have on my own staff, he's not here with me this time, but an elder in our church, a man we've hired as a pastor who does not have a PhD. He does not have an MDiv. He doesn't have a bachelor's degree. But do you know what he has? The Spirit of God, a wife he loves, a family he leads well. He knows his Bible so well. It's hilarious. When we're hanging out as pastors, three or four of us with PhDs, we're thinking about a situation we'll all have intelligent, godly wisdom to give. Blake, he'll just quote the Bible. <laughs> Pretty much always apropos and exactly on target. We should not so structure things that Blake could not be a pastor at our church. I remember when I was coming to be ordained, talking with the pastor who had a PhD from Southern Seminary. He was very liberal. And he and I had sparred in private about original sin, which he denied. And it was t- coming time for me to be questioned by the ministers in the association over my own theology. And I jestingly said to him, I guess I shouldn't mention anything about being a Calvinist. And uh, he, he, he said, well, uh, no, no, no. You can talk all you want about Calvinism to these guys. I said, uh, why? I mean, you, you don't even believe in original sin. He said, Mark, these are all country preachers they all believe the Bible they all love John Calvin you know these are just Baptists who've been reading their Bible in the woods of Kentucky for 200 years you know you can say anything you want to them they believe the whole thing you know (laughs) now that was out of a student from Southern Seminary he had his PhD from Southern it was very liberal theologically and that's how he described the situation I thought that was pretty telling I thought it was pretty accurate too Number six, beware of preferring a winning personality over a man with godly character. Beware of preferring a winning personality over a man with godly character. It is the truth of the man and his ministry behind the pulpit that will matter in the long run. You want a man who tells you the truth rather than flatters you. You want a man that is humble and transparent, that has friends that benefit from him, who spend time with him. You want to see that he understands authority and complementarianism and discipling and mercy and the joy of evangelism among so many other things he needs to have both conviction and compassion lacking either one of those is a simple disqualification from pastoral ministry you need to have conviction and compassion in a conversation last night i used the image of pigpen remember pigpen from charlie brown where he's walking around there's always the cloud of dust around his feet you know wherever he goes Okay, a good pastor, a good elder is the opposite of that. He's walking around. There's always this fruitfulness all around his feet. Whoever's around him is just blessed. You know, whoever's around him is just really getting the Bible. They're, they're growing spiritually, getting converted. That's the guy the Lord is raising up as an elder or pastor. That's who you want to grab hold of. Friends, those were six subpoints under number five, which was propose. So this is how we as elders get our minds around, okay, who are we going to really examine and think about? all right now number six now here's the examining and the thing about it. it's preach pray and talk preach pray and talk number six if the candidate is coming from outside the elders should listen to sermons in person or online if possible the elders could listen together to a sermon online and discuss it without the preacher present i remember doing that one time taking the utmost uh or the the most recent sermon i could find that this man had preached listening to it together and being saddened by how poorly he preached the old testament And at the same time being struck by his gifts as a pastor when i called him the next morning to tell him that the elders had listened to this particular sermon he kind of gulped he was surprised he was a little worried i told him that he could have preached that sermon in a local synagogue and if he preached a sermon like that at our church as our pastor we'd fire him but i explained to him the theological problems and i explained to him how clearly gifted he was as a pastor so i exhorted him to work harder at his sermons particularly on the old testament and he was humble he took that advice and he is thriving as a pastor now after this the elders could arrange for the brother in question to come and preach for the congregation have larger and smaller settings to meet with them answer questions from the congregation of course there should be some extended time with the elders if the the man is currently serving as a pastor the elders should ask why this pastor of another church is even considering leaving his current church And if his church knows that he's considering this possibility, and especially with the elders, the prospective pastor should discuss his theology, his philosophy of ministry. You can avoid small matters of which people can disagree that have no practical consequence. Uh, The candidate should have the integrity to flag any substantial issue that might be offensive or even a concern to the congregation if they were known. He should not be secretive in order to get the job. That shows a lack of character that disqualifies him right there. Written summaries could be provided. Clear discussion of his church, uh, of his understanding of the church's statement of faith and church covenant could be had. Issues important to discuss could vary from polity, how you organize the church, to soteriology, how we're saved, from drinking, if that's important to some people in the church, to annual evaluations, how do you treat your staff, from millennial views to their understanding of complementarianism. You can use modern statements to help him. Uh, flesh out what he thinks So hear his comments on the chicago statement on biblical inerrancy the danvers statement on manhood and womanhood the baptist faith and message the together for the gospel affirmations and denials the ligonier statement on christology is a wonderful statement uh, the nashville statement that was just signed get his comments on all these things see what he thinks you might also find my original nine marks letter which is printed as an appendix to the nine marks of a healthy church book you might find that a useful thing to cause discussion friend uh, If the candidate is married, make sure to take time to speak to their family, speak with his wife about her understanding of her husband, of their situation, to hear any concerns she has for her family. Watch how he cares uh, for her and his family. Watch how he cares for people who aren't leaders in your church. Watch how he cares for non-leaders. So, pastor, if you're already serving in a church and you begin to consider leaving and serving elsewhere, let your leaders and your congregation know what you're thinking about. Now, i'm not sure anybody in this room will agree with me in that but i'm pretty sure it's right better to make such a momentous decision with your dear congregation understanding what you're doing and praying for you in the decision help them to understand what you're thinking about i remember one time being contacted by a church in north carolina to come be their pastor i told them that i was engaged in work that i felt i should continue they said well we're sending a public committee to hear you preach i said well you're very welcome to do that but if if they come i'll have them stand and we'll pray for you to find a good pastor They thought i was joking i look out and see them a couple of sundays later sitting there in the congregation so right before the pastoral prayer in the middle of the service i called out oh and the public public committee from such and such a church is here with us visiting today would you all please stand so they looked a little sheepish and surprised but they stood and i said these dear brothers and sisters are looking for a good pastor for their church we're going to pray they find one our pastoral prayer let's pray together and then we prayed for that church (laughs) and they found a good pastor Now, for those of you who are elders or other church leaders looking for a new pastor think carefully brothers we wouldn't want to be stealers of successful pastors from other churches think very carefully here why would we think god loves our congregation more than the one we would take this pastor from being secretive in this process suggests that something may be amiss but if there are legitimate reasons for a brother to move his ministry then they can be understood by a godly congregation as well. Even if the congregation, through their self-interest, doesn't want the man to leave, the congregation that they're currently pastoring, no doubt, loves them. They want to care well for them. They can understand if this particular pastor feels discouraged for a certain reason, or if they're concerned about the schools for their kids, or if they need to be closer to aging parents, or simply feel subjectively called to try to go and help this church because the church they're at right now has gotten better. Whatever the reasons really are, a congregation can understand those things. I think that kind of open honesty simply builds trust between pastors and members. A famous example of this is in Puritan New England when John Cotton died in 1652. He said that John Norton should succeed him as minister of the first church in Boston. He was pastor of the church up in Ipswich. And after more than three years of some dispute, some conversations, prayer meetings, it was mutually decided that John Norton should leave Ipswich and go to Boston. And so he was ordained there July 23rd, 1656. But my point is that the two worked in, at it together uh, in prayer. They were all asked to see the bigger picture. Where would this brother be better serving? So we want to cultivate in a congregation a concern for our own local church, but also for other gospel work. So practically what that could look like is your elders on a speakerphone conversation with another set of elders at another church. Where you, and that preacher guy in question could not even be in the room. You know where you all are just talking honestly about this preacher in question. Here's how we love him. Here's how we've appreciated his ministry. Here are the qualities we see. Here's why he's told us he's open to leaving and considering else. And then the new church is looking at him, and said, "Well, here's what we're seeing. Here's how we think he could be really helpful to us. Here's why we think he's the right guy for us right now." There could be a season of prayer, honest conversation. Uh, the church should consider calling the pastor and should also ask very direct questions to the elders of the sending church. I have sadly seen churches so hate their sister churches in effect that when a man has fallen in ministry they just want him out of there and they try to pawn him off on other churches and they don't tell what's really gone on. That's not a godly lack of gossip. That is a hateful way to act toward another congregation. And it's hateful toward that old, man, that old man's soul if he's ca- captured by sin. You should be loving him and telling him the truth and telling any church that would ask about him the truth. Number seven, recommend. All of that was under number five, propose, then number six, preach, pray, talk. Okay, number seven, recommend. This is where it goes public. The elders should bring to the congregation the name of the person that they have concluded would be good to serve the church as their next preaching pastor. Number eight, consider. The congregation should have some time to consider the man brought before them to serve as their main preaching pastor, whether that's two weeks or two months. Maybe they've heard him preach during the previous months laying, running up. Maybe you haven't preached now. But it is irresponsible of us not to give our congregation time to think and pray and reflect. I think of Proverbs 15, verse 28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. But the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things or in chapter 18 verse 13 if one gives an answer before he hears it is his folly and shame or down in verse 17 Proverbs 18 17 the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him this is the wisdom of the Proverbs that we take a little time to make important decisions or you think what Paul wrote to Timothy uh, in First Timothy chapter 3, where he specifically warns. He says in verse 10, let them also be tested first, then let them serve. So let them be tested first. You think of what he says earlier in chapter 3, uh, up in verse 4, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? There has to be time to know these things. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22, do not uh, be hasty in laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Uh, And then over in Revelation chapter 2, in the letters that Jesus writes where he begins, he says in chapter 2 to the church in Ephesus, verse 2, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false you need to give your congregation time to understand how you've tested to do their own testing we certainly want to encourage carefulness and prayerfulness in making such an important decision without unduly drawing the process out number nine vote the congregation should vote to affirm this man as their preacher their pastor I take this as an implication of the responsibility that the congregation clearly has in the new testament for bad preachers and you look at galatians chapter one verses eight and nine where paul says look don't listen to me if i come and preach to you another gospel or second timothy four three where he says about what's going to happen in the church in ephesus in the future they're going to gather about themselves people to teach what their their ears want to hear so he's saying the people are doing the gathering and they're gathering the wrong people. Well, if they can unchoose their teachers in Galatians 1 and choose the wrong ones in 2 Timothy 4, I think that's assuming they must normally be able to choose them. So in Titus chapter 1 verse 5, we see that Paul left Titus in Crete to appoint elders in every town. But that word appoint sounds very specific in English. sounds like it's telling you how he did that when I think it's less specific than it sounds in English. It might not mean that Titus himself simply chose but rather he ratified, he ordained, he established, in that sense appointed, men that the congregation recognized. Uh, In a short scope of time in multiple towns, how could Titus know who to set over them? He has to be looking to the congregations that are established to find who the leaders are there. Surely he would have relied on each town's congregation, a bit like the first disciples in Jerusalem in Acts 6 had relied on that congregation. We read in Acts 6, 3 to... When they say brothers pick out from among you seven men of good repute full of the spirit and of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty so we then read that they did just that the congregation chose seven men and we read in Acts 6 6 then they, these they set before the apostles they prayed and laid their hands on them in second corinthians 8 19 we see that churches chose those who would accompany paul in taking their gift to jerusalem uh, we read in acts 14 23 and when they had appointed elders from them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And in these last two passages, 2 Corinthians eight nineteen and Acts fourteen twenty three, the word translated appointed in the Greek is kairotoneo, kairotoneo. I remember being told by another pastor the only reason I believed in the congregation voting for members or ministers was because I was in Washington, D.C. on Capitol Hill. What about all these passages I've just been pointing us to? Surely, surely you realize that in God's providence, the gospel first spread among the Greek-speaking people who used the Greek language in many cities that had for centuries made decisions how? By coming together in assemblies to vote. That's how they decided things. You can go to Acts 27, verse 12 of that shipwreck, and you find that crew is even voting to decide what to do next. That's how they made decisions. This was a familiar way in the world to make and confirm a legitimate decision for a group, so much so that I think when the way is not specified, we should assume that this was the way the decision was made. We know that the church chose Paul, Barnabas, and others to go to Jerusalem to consult about the gospel. The church chose them, we read in Acts 15. We know that the Corinthian church had acted by a majority, that's what the Greek says, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, to punish the man in unrepentant sin friends it is no stretch to see the church so making other decisions especially this most important of decisions who will be their main preacher of god's word it is not just the tradition of men that asks baptist churches to vote it is god's word that tells us where to ask the congregation to vote number 10 welcome you want to end up with a pastor happily settled well taken care of I've too often heard church leaders say about a pastor, we'll keep him poor and God will keep him humble. You ever heard that? Way to turn the pastor's kids against Christianity. Way to have a short-term vision of the gospel. That's a terrible attitude to have to a new pastor. While the immediate context in 1 Timothy 5 is about the care of of, of widows, Paul states a wider truth in 1 Timothy 5.8. When he says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Friends, if you're taking on a pastor, you want to make sure he can provide for his family. And just like the bananas you buy at the store, give him time to ripen and show himself. You know, when you first get him, he's a little green. You understand that. Just give him a little time. Over the weeks and months and years, his preaching will improve. So that'll be some combination of him getting better and you getting more used to him. He'll have opportunity to serve to endear himself through baptisms and weddings and funerals. People will join the church under his ministry. I remember Maxine said to me after a Sunday evening service. Maxine's a a senior member of our church. She's been there since the 1950s. She came up to me after I've been there two or three years, and she said, "Pastor, you know it's funny. Since you've been here, we haven't seen the kind of sudden growth." And she did her hand and kind of grabbed sudden growth that we have with our other new pastors. The church had had a new pastor about every five years since 1945 really um and you know i just stood there and kind of listened because the pastor hears all kinds of comments (laughs) (laughs) she said but but then you know it, it, it it always did like this and she said with you it's just more been like this just kind of a slow constant increase doesn't that seem healthy doesn't that seem like what we might expect As his ministry of discipling endures and deepens over the years, you'll begin to see new elders, maybe even his successor. And among the things he must teach is what a Christian is, what a church member is, what a church is, what elders and pastors are, what they do, and how they're to be recognized and chosen. And all that, friends, takes time. Number 11, last one, encourage, encourage. The new pastor will begin looking for his own successor, of course. Think of 2 Timothy 2.2. But one thing that will help him to do that is the encouragement that you give him of sharing some of the benefits that members have known. This would be Galatians 6.6 6 kind of encouragement or First or Timothy 5.17 where you pray for him and you pay for him. You be generous to him so he can set a model of generosity to others. And if you don't trust his character enough to be generous with him, you shouldn't hire him in the first place. Encourage him. Receive him as a gift from Christ to your church. Edward Griffin was a faithful Presbyterian pastor of a church for many years in New Jersey. At his last message to the congregation when they were installing his successor, Griffin said, For your own sake and your children's sake, cherish and revere him whom you have chosen to be your pastor. Already he loves you, and he will soon love you as bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. It will be equally your duty and your interest to make his labors as pleasant to him as possible. Do not demand too much. Do not require visits too frequent. Should he spend in this way half of the time which some demand, he must wholly neglect his studies, if not sink early under the burden. Do not report to him all the unkind things which may be said against him, nor frequently in his presence allude to opposition, if opposition should arise. Though he is a minister of Christ, consider that he has the feelings of a man. Friends, you've been very patient through these uh, 11 miscellaneous points. Let me just remind you that this is such an important choice. It's like when a young man or woman in your congregation comes to ask your advice on who they should marry. You realize that their future is being determined by this. When a pastor is picked for a congregation or a congregation picks a pastor, you realize how significant that is for that church. What their ministry is going to be like will be determined in so many ways by that choice. Just think of your own situation. What if it were different? Who would you be now if you weren't at that church or if that pastor hadn't come? In one sermon, the faithful English pastor C.H. Spurgeon said, To our minds, the Scripture seems very explicit as to how this church should be ordered. We believe that every church member should have equal rights and privileges, that there is no power in church officers to execute anything unless they have the full authorization of the members of the church. We believe, however, that the church should choose its pastor. And having chosen him, they should love him and respect him for his work's sake. That with him should be associated the deacons of the church to take oversight of pecuniary matters. And the elders of the church to assist in all the works of the pastor in the fear of God, being overseers of the flock. Such a church, we believe, is to be scripturally ordered. And if it abides in the faith, rooted and grounded and settled, such a church may expect the benediction of heaven. And so it shall become the pillar and ground of the truth. Brothers and sisters, we want to get this right. Let me invite you to turn to 2 Samuel 23. H.B., this is that same passage I went to last week at the conference. David's last words. You understand how fruitful good authority is? Here we see David's last words. This great king of Israel. Last words are always significant. 2 Samuel chapter 23, and this is good. You're going to want to turn to this. 2 Samuel 23. Now these are the last words of David, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of God, the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. The spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, yeah, okay, what has he said? It's a very thick frame. It must be a lovely painting. You know, what what has he said? Here it comes after two and a half verses of introduction. Here's what he said. Middle of verse three when one rules justly over men ruling in the fear of god he dawns on them like the morning light like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth brothers and sisters do you realize how good good authority is in a fallen world we tend to think authority is by its nature bad we think of authoritarian abuses of authority And certainly abuses of authority are among the worst if not the worst blasphemies against god that's why things like domestic abuse or slavery are such horrible blasphemies against god in his very image you know the idea of white supremacy that is that one race is better than another race made in the image of god this is not just an ethical problem it's a theological problem And it it actually points the blast at God himself. It denies his image in a way he has made it. So friends, you understand when we're in this, we're in a very tender area, but it's a very important area. It's not an area we should be scared of. And who your pastor is, is one of the clearest examples of this. You know how every kid wants to be on the team with a good coach? Everybody envies the the kids with the good parents. You know, everybody wants to be the company where you have the good boss. Good authority, David says here, blesses those underneath it. It causes them to be fruitful and grow up. Good authority is not fundamentally for those exercising the authority. It's a privilege, it's a stewardship. It's for the blessing of those under that authority. That's how God himself is acted. He said his only son. There is a self-givingness in good authority that the Christian epitomizes in the pastor of their local church. This is such an incredibly important decision. We want to be very careful and prayerful in it for the glory of God and for our own soul's sake. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for giving us gifts of pastors for our local churches. We pray that you would help us to think well in these next few messages about what we should be like as pastors. We pray that you would be glorified. Your name would be honored as the churches here represented are built up. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.